Well, welcome to our new series, Well Connected. You know, when we began our church years ago, we realized that not everybody's in the same place in their spiritual journey. And we said, you know what, we got a lot of friends who may not be religious, but boy, we, they're just friends. We've hung out with them for many, many years. We love going to concerts together. We love talking about spiritual matters, even if not religious matters. So when we began this uh, church, we said, let's create an environment that we can just have fun together, talk about spiritual issues together. And when we moved into this building seven years ago, we said, what would be the best song that we could start, sort of give, give voice to that longing we have for something more significant? So that song we actually did seven years ago, the first service in this building, Brand New Day. And I had several people said, we tried out Horizon for the first time, and I didn't really want to go to church. I sort of was, you know, lost a bet to a buddy of mine, or my wife drugged me, or whatever it was. And I came and I heard Brand New Day. And I said, well, that doesn't seem too religious. Man, that's what I'm looking for. A new start, a new beginning, a fresh look at this. So in our series for the next four or five weeks, we're actually going to look at how do we reach for that unwritten story, that significance or that purpose in life that's eluded us? How do we break free from habits that maybe have held us back from where we want to go after years of trying? And to do that, we're going to explain why our church was designed the way it was and the tools we want to put in your hands to help do that. If you don't know, let me tell you a little bit about our mission statement. Horizon's mission statement is really interesting. And to me, it's very compelling because it's about friendship. It's about relationship. How do we comfortably connect? We looked at a lot of churches that many of us had been to over the years and said, we've been to a lot of places we felt uncomfortably connected. How do we create environments that are warm and welcoming to you, whatever you believe, wherever you are? How do we comfortably connect people to the Bible? It's a big word in the middle there, Bible. And to a community of growing Christ followers. That that's what we're about. We want to help you, even if you don't believe in the Bible, you're not sure about the Bible, we want to show you why we've come to the conclusions we have, to engage our brain, to think deeply, to be challenged by the words of this book. And today we're going to specifically talk about this word in the middle. So you look at our mission statement, what does it mean to be connected to the Bible? How can the Bible, why in the world, if you wanted to really connect with people, would you make the Bible such a central part when people think of that often as a book of rules and regulations and guilt and shame, can we just yank that out and say, connected to God? Why the Bible? Because we have found in our lives and the lives of our friends that the Bible can be the secret to unlocking new meaning, new purpose, and freedom in your life. And to do that, I'd like you to hear a story of a friend of mine. Can we give a warm welcome to my friend Chris? Chris, come on down. Come on up. Thank you, man. Well, Chris, tell us a little bit about um, how the Bible has become a source of life and wisdom for you in your life when it maybe it hasn't been for most of your adult life. Well, in my faith throughout the years, I was always scratching the surface. Um, I felt like I was more of a believer, but not yet a follower. Uh, for the past three years, I've been meeting with Mike Marker, who is an elder at the church, and um, just talking life, digging into the Bible over, over the time, and just really wasn't absorbing it like I, I should. Um, on Father's Day a few months ago, I had uh, an invitation from God. And in my living room that, that night, I felt something come alive within me. I felt God was telling me to make a major adjustment in my life. Um, so I decided to give up alcohol that night. I felt like it was just keeping me from revealing himself to me. Hmm. Um, so at that point, I surrendered. I, I, I devoted my life to Christ. 
And the old Chris was, was, was dead and a new Chris was, was reborn. And in doing that, my senses were just restored. I felt the Bible started to become alive. The scripture would, was speaking to me more. And I was, I was waiting. I was listening. I was watching for God work in ways around my life. And you told me that uh, kind of what the Bible does is you actually have a regular habit now of getting into the Bible as a way to direct you. How has the Bible opened you up to both God and through prayer as you've thought about that? Well, what's happened with prayer is it's become a habit in my life. I do it regularly. And sometimes when, when we pray, there's, there's a silence and almost a rejection. You feel like there's maybe a rejection from God because he's not answering that prayer directly. So in the days coming, in the upcoming days to today, I started feeling the stress or feeling the sense of being unqualified or I was just unequipped to um, share my, my story with everyone. So I started praying and about it. And in praying, um, I, I noticed a story about a, a young boy um, a week ago that was fighting um, terminal brain cancer. So something overcame me and I felt a nudge from God um, pushing me towards this family. And I reached out to the Allen family and total strangers and said, I'd like to do something for your family. I'd like to offer some, some, some strength, some courage, and I'd like to bring my boys along to meet Brody. So last Monday, our boys and I went to Brody's house and the impact was profound. In the midst of the dire circumstances, the, the struggle and the pain the little boy was, was going through, um, I really felt God's presence in his family, in, in their faith, in their love, their unconditional love, and their hope for him. And it really made me think about my own life and how I was before, before I surrendered. Um, the old Chris would have said, why is this happening to this boy? Why is he suffering? Why is there cancer in the world? But God answered that prayer indirectly by going to, to myself by going there, seeing what the family was going through, and that gave me hope and God's eternal love for us is what gives me strength every day and brought me back to, to being in this chair, sharing a little bit of my story with everyone here today. Yeah, and you told me that what's interesting is that you tried to overcome some habits before, now you had access to a greater power source to doing that. Um, you told me that you know, Bible study became it was a journey. It wasn't like a one-time prayer. Three years of investing in this and taking your spiritual journey pretty seriously. And then you said you saw in people, despite their dire circumstances, they could still have hope, peace, joy, despite their circumstances. And I happened to be interviewing a friend of mine who was going through pancreatic cancer. And he was talking about how he felt like God has called him in the middle of his pancreatic cancer to show people what joy and God looks like and how the Bible has helped him bring hope into his cancer. And you happened that same time to run into that interview and tell me a little bit how that sort of kept propelling you toward this, this something in the distance of a significance that transcends circumstances. Yeah, and, and, and that, that, that video also came into my life maybe a day or two after I met with Brody and just seeing, uh, you know, Tad's story, how hope has impacted him, how he's surpassed all of the, the, his medical condition and has outlived all the doctor's expectations. And with Brody, too, his story was of strength, of hope, of, of love, and those are the things that keep all of us going in life, and it extended their life, so it, 
it can make an impact on others around us, and it definitely has made an impact in my life. Well, I know you were nervous about getting up here. I appreciate you doing that. I told him if, if any one of us was qualified to be up here, we'd have an empty stage every week. So can we thank Chris for sharing his story? Thank you, man. I appreciate it. So we have just seen the Bible help. And for you, you know, we have lots of people who enjoy a glass of wine. We're not trying to have you give up wine. Whatever that habit is that you feel like has moved from being a habit to something that controls you. It could be anger. could be complaining. could be criticism. But God really wants to help. And there's this tool, this key we found, that people have been able to find a source of power and courage and strength and freedom from the Bible. Now, you may not believe the Bible has anything but a few stories in it that might be helpful. You may be very skeptical about the Bible because of some weird stories in there. And that's understandable. You can believe whatever you want at Horizon. We're just going to try and share how this tool has been helpful in our life and why we've come to the conclusions we have. In fact, there's a guy by the name of Tom Holland. Tom is an expert historian and student of uh, Greek, Roman, classical literature. And he said he grew up playing with Tyrannosaurus Rex, and he loved things that were fierce and things that were, you know, old. And from that, he transferred into his love for classical literature and studies and, and actually studying the Greeks and the Romans, and he was just brought into their world. He loved the triumphs. He loved the, the majesty of it all. But what he wondered was, the more he would read Caesar, and the more he'd read Gaelic Wars, the more he would say, the world I'm enthralled with in the past seems foreign to what I hold dear. The Caesars would kill a million people off, and not only were the society not embarrassed by it, they cheered it on. Look at our leader, he kills a million people. They had a whole economy built on a million people in slavery under the caste system. And the people didn't see any problem with it. That's just how life works in the caste system. The sexual, sexual ethics of the day in the Greek and Roman Empire that he was fascinated with were that if you were a free man, anybody underneath you in the caste system, you could sleep with any man, woman, boy, or child at any time just because of where you were in the social pecking order. As he began to think how foreign this was, how, how callous they were to not even realizing how maybe out of touch this was, he began to study how did the Roman Empire change to become the Western world and what he held so dear today. Equality and people mattering and not abusing people. He said, what I realized is though I have not made the proverbial leap of faith to become a Christian, he said, history is crystal clear. The Bible and the impact of the Bible transformed how we see life and the things you and I hold dear today have come from the impact of the Bible. He's yet to make that step, but he says, I'm investigating the benefits of this book, even if I don't believe it. In fact, many people say, no, no, Chad, the idea that everybody's got meaning and purpose, inherent deity, that came from the Reformation or Enlightenment many, many years later. But we actually have a record of a powerful sermon. It was delivered by a man named St. Gregor of Nyssa. He actually gets up to preach. He's preaching one day. It's the first recorded history, 370 A.D. He gets up and there's slavery all around him in the world. He decides he's going to speak against slavery. Now, the currency of the day is called opals and uh, satires. He says, how many opals? How many opals do you need to spend for the image of God? How many satires? How many Benjamins must you spend for someone made in God's image? And he basically is speaking against slavery, against the exploiting of men, women, and children because of two words, imagio deo. The Bible brings this unique teaching that every person is imagio, the image, deo, God. That every person has inherent value, man, woman, and child. And he's saying, if you, if you have a, a person in front of you that's eternally valuable, according to the Bible, 
How much money would you have to spend for it to be worth it in slavery, for sex trade? No, this is an abomination. It was that idea from the Bible that led to equality. Women being esteemed, children being esteemed, the handicapped being esteemed. This book has powerfully shaped the world, and it can powerfully shape your and my life. And even if you don't believe it, isn't it true in any subject in your life, you can explore the benefits of something, even if you're not convinced of the beliefs of something? Right? I read books all the time, I don't believe. I watch movies all the time, I don't believe everything that's said in there or know everything about the author. So if you've never even explored the Bible, just explore the benefits of it. Hey, I don't know if it's true, I don't know if it should be taken literally, I don't know if it's really historical, but I at least want to go on a journey. And Horizon wanted to create an environment where we could go on a journey to explore the benefits of something, even if you're not convinced about the beliefs of something. It even says that in the Bible, in one of those ancient scrolls they found uh, with old journals in it, in Psalms 103, it says, Bless the Lord, forget not all his benefits. So today I'd like you to look at three benefits of the Bible. Benefits you might want for your life. Benefits that people through history have found by studying this book in their own life. The first benefit is that the Bible offers pain, change-inducing sorrow. If you want to make changes in your life, whatever the area is in your life, the Bible connects you to change-inducing sorrow, an internal motivator to make change. Let me tell you a little story from the Bible. Again, it's more than a story. I think this, there's actually history and archaeology to back this up. There's a king by the name of Josiah. He becomes king at eight years old, and he reigns for 18 years. He decides it's time to put his house in order. Now, he's heard about the Bible from his grandparents, but no one has a copy of it. Every copy of the Bible has been lost for at least a generation, maybe two. So he sort of thinks he knows what the Bible's about. He's heard some little bit about it, but he's never touched it or read it or got into it himself. But he basically says, hey, I'm going to reign this kingdom pretty well. So he hires a CPA. He has the priest come along. They hire a CPA whose job is to count all of the money. So they count all the money in the treasury to make sure that things are being held accountable well. He says, could you count the money? And as they're counting the money and moving stacks around, making sure everything's assessed properly, underneath all the treasury and all the gold and silver and copper, they find underneath there, they find the book of the Lord. It was under all the treasure. And he... He brings it back, the CPA does, and says, I found the book of the Lord. A Bible? When's the last time anyone's seen that? And many think it's a scroll, multiple scrolls of the whole Bible was found at that point, up to that point in history. Many think it's called the book of the Lord because it's the first five books that Moses wrote. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. So they, they unroll this thing, and he's only heard about the Bible, he's never been in it. He, he's only heard rumors about it, never actually read it. And so the priest begins to read all these promises, the way to do life, the way to avoid pain, the way God wants to bless, the way God wants to sort of protect you from, from bad circumstances. And as he's reading through this, King Josiah at age 26, having never read the Bible, never seen the Bible in his life, is like, he rips his clothes, which might seem like an overreaction, right? Come on, let's get a little carried away here. Well, in that culture, that was a sign, very common, of somebody sort of stopping going, whoa. Man, am I missing out. It was grieving. I'm grieved that I'm living in a way I shouldn't be living. I'm grieved that I'm not experiencing all the benefits God has for me. So he was grieved with this change-inducing sorrow. I've got to make some, some pivots in my life and some changes in my life. But it was happening from the inside out. And that's what the Bible can do. I mean, think about how people change. They either change from the outside, you put pressure on them, the carrot and the stick idea, uh, there's enough pressure on your kids, if you do this, you're not going to get punished. 
But what you really want, don't you really want your spouse, your boss, your employees, your kids to be internally motivated? To say, hey, I know I slammed the door, mom, dad, I I know that wasn't very respectful, would you forgive me? I mean, like you'd fall on your back if they did that, right? Versus you tell them you're sorry. Right now, look them in the eye and say you're sorry, right? External pressure for change, which is needed. But what you really want is internal motivated. Don't you see how you hurt your mom? Don't you see how you hurt your brother? What if there was a book that if people read a book, God could nudge and say, hey, that wasn't particularly kind what you said. I'm not sure you're putting other people first. I mean, in your marriage, don't you often in your marriage come with a list? It's in your mind, if not a real list. We need to talk. You're like, oh, no. I don't think you blah, 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 blah. And you haven't put external pressure for the person to see their blind spots. But don't you really wish instead they might say, man, you know what? I was thinking the other day. I was contemplating the other day. I read something the other day that really prompted me, really spoke to me, really convicted me that maybe I need to be a little kinder in our marriage, be a little more respectful in our marriage. I need not be so self-centered. See, what we're all longing for in other people is that would be internally motivated to do the right thing. Well, the Bible offers that for you and I through sorrow. And sorrow is different from guilt and condemnation. Many of us grew up in church, heard a lot about guilt and condemnation. Big blanket of guilt throw over you and you could never get out from underneath it. But the Bible says when you realize that Jesus, the main message of the Bible, died for everything you will do wrong or have done wrong, past, present, future, there is no condemnation anymore. So even when you find something you've done wrong, your spouse brings it up, your boss brings it up, you don't have to have all your defense mechanisms go, oh, I wouldn't have done that. I'm not that kind of person. You say, you know, I am that kind of person. And God forgave me for everything. It allows you to own your junk more. It allows you to to look at it squarely and say, that's probably me, probably me. And God, this is something I've already been forgiven for. So the condemnation is gone. Instead of condemnation, you have sorrow. Let me give you a definition of sorrow. It's It's a deep distress within you over how your actions have hurt other people. Instead of saying, I broke a bunch of rules, I'm no longer worthy of God, it says, God made me worthy of him, but I feel bad that I've hurt God's heart. God, I want to please you because you made me pleasing to you. I want to please my spouse because God has been so kind to me, I want to be kind to them. And there's this empathetic sorrow that's different from guilt and shame that allows you to be motivated to make changes in your life. We had a woman in a Bible study this week. She was sharing just some ways which God's been working in her life. She said she'd been studying the Bible and specifically a, a series the women have been doing for many years called Lord Change My Attitude. As she'd been going through this series, she said it was amazing my third time through to see how studying the Bible, seeing how my tendency to complain or to be cynical, but learn how to be grateful. I was starting to feel sorrow over my cynicism and sorrow over my complaining critical attitude instead of realigning myself to gratitude and joy in my life. I went back three journals ago when I went through the series, she said, and I noticed I was praying and very anxious about my son's spiritual journey. And to see how God over the three years began to speak into his life, and he's taken his spiritual journey seriously. He's exploring with deep questions here at Horizon. I took a picture of it and sent it to him and said, look at how God has answered my prayers. And he wrote back and said, man, it has been an incredible journey. I just wish I'd started sooner. And she said, well, you're in your 20s. You started a lot sooner than most people did. The Bible begins to motivate you from the inside out to make new alignments. 
When I was down in LaGrange, Georgia, there was a businessman. He was a born salesman. His name was Neil. He bought this gigantic farm for doing corporate events. This particular uh, event, he had Sony come in with like 30,000 employees for a day on the farm. I showed up one day, said hey to Neil, and he gave me a sandwich like he always did. This is the best thing you're ever going to put in your mouth, born salesman. He says, oh, I wish you'd been here five minutes ago. I said, why? Jeff Foxworthy was just here. Oh, did he do a comedy event? No, no, no. He comes down once a month from Atlanta. Why? He's got some young kids he mentors in the inner city. He's got some men he leads a Bible study in. I said, oh, I missed him. So I went and looked up his story, and sure enough, about 15 years ago, somebody approached Jeff and said, hey, I'd like you to come down and meet some folks down at inner city. And he's like, okay, what do you really want? Free tickets to a comedy event? And what do you really want me to write a big check? He goes, no, I just want you to hear their story. Similar to the work we do with City Gospel Mission going down every week, this is sort of what he did in his community. So he shows up and he meets this 25-year-old kid who's homeless. He's like, how do you get homeless at 25? He told him a story about his father committing suicide when he was in junior high. His mom and his brother trying to raise him. A few years later, his brother committed suicide. A few years later, his mom had this Bible that she would read from, but she also was overcome by all the grief, and she committed suicide. He says, I just started getting high on crack. And Jeff looked at him and said, I think I might want to get high on crack if that happened to me too. It's no wonder. And instead of sticking homeless and hurting people in a category of I would never do that, his empathy began to grow, his sorrow. And the guy said, well, here, here's what I'd like you to do, Jeff. Now he's waiting for the big, you know, write me a big check. I just want you to lead a Bible study with a group of men down in this community. He says, me, a Bible study? Jeff Foxworthy? And again, this is a guy, the number one best-selling comedian of all time. Busy guy. But something prompted him to go down and lead a Bible study. He sat down with these group of men, and he said, the first thing I want you to know about this book is that it is alive. That's what makes it different from every other book. It's alive. And I'll show you. He opened up to a page in the Bible. It had yellow marker and blue marker and red marker. He said, I read through the Bible every year. One year, I, I used a yellow marker. And look what God highlighted and brought to my attention. I went back another year later, and the blue is what God brought to my attention. I came back to the same page another year, and the green is what he brought to attention. I'm telling you, this book is alive. It's helped me in my career. It's helped me be the kind of father I wanted to be, to prioritize myself, even in the midst of all my busy scheduling. This book is, is alive. One of the young men there said, can I tell you my story about how I'm starting to make some changes in my life? Jeff said, sure, tell me. He said, well, I had this backpack that had everything I ever owned in it. And one of the things in that backpack was a Bible from my mom. And the front of that Bible was a love letter my mom wrote to me. It's the last thing I have from my mother. But I got into parting, I got the inheritance of my father, and I just went hotel to hotel, place to place, house to house, parting here and there. And somewhere in that year of spending all that inheritance, I lost my backpack. But more importantly, I lost my Bible, which I didn't really read. But more importantly, I lost the last connection I had to my mom. Well, the money ran out, the girls ran out, the friends ran away, and I had to do something because I was in a lot of pain. So I had a guy who was willing to hire me. He hired me, and as he hired me, I, uh, I did a good job, apparently. It's been a year and a half now since I lost my stuff. And he says, well, tell you what, I got another uh, condo that I, or a property out 100 miles west of Atlanta. I need to get cleaned up. How about you and a buddy go out there and clean it up? 100 miles west of Atlanta, year and a half after the circumstance. He's cleaning up this apartment. One guy's up top throwing stuff in the dumpster. He's throwing stuff up. He goes to check on his buddy. He did a pretty nice job, except there's a whole pile of stuff in the corner. He's like, hey, what'd you forget about this? His buddy said, well, that's, that stuff I thought might be valuable. We might be able to sell it. He goes, all right, well, I'll go through it. And as he starts going through this pile of stuff, 
Sure enough, he finds his backpack. He opens it up and pulls out his Bible. And the letter from his mom fell out. And he said to the group that day, I figure if God is working this hard to get my attention, I might want to give him some of my attention back. And that's when Jeff Foxworthy decided not just to do this for two weeks or six weeks, but for ten years he stayed in group with these guys to help them make steps to move forward in their life. The Bible is alive. And it uniquely lets you tap into the kind of empathetic sorrow to make changes that are internally motivated out of love, wanting to please somebody, not out of guilt and shame. The Bible also offers you pain-remembered wisdom. My friend John Kirby uh, went to Chipotle several months ago. He said, Chad, can I give you my definition of, of, of wisdom? I said, sure. He said, wisdom can be defined in two words. Pain remembered. That's pretty sharp. Which is why we need people older than us, more experienced than us, to say, whoa, 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 before you go down there, let me help share some pain. I remember when I tried that five years ago. Pain remembered wisdom. This scroll that they find underneath all the gold and silver, it offers pain remembered wisdom for living life. As they begin to read this, look what uh, King Josiah says. Go inquire of the Lord for me, for the people in all Judah concerning the words of this book that have been found. Our fathers have not obeyed the words of this book to do according to what's written in it. We're missing out on all kinds of benefits, and we're heading down some paths that the ancient wisdom says causes problems, and we've seen some of those problems. Pain-remembered wisdom. Think of it this way. If I scrubbed off the, the name Bible, and you don't think of it as a religious book for a second, I say, what if I had a book that had the top 500 mistakes leaders have made in history that ruined their life. So you can avoid that pain. I might want to read a book like that. What if this was a book that had the top 500 habits you could form that would actually lead you to where you want to go to find meaning and purpose and significance? I might want to read a book like that. To not to think of it as a religious book or rules of do's and don'ts, but it actually tells more about what people do wrong than what they do right and how God works in the midst of broken, bad decisions and bad circumstances to lead people back to truth, to hope, to joy. Pain-remembered wisdom. And sometimes, isn't it true we think we know better than we really do until we get into a circumstance? I've been learning how to fly for the last year and a half. And so it's fun. People take me out who are pilots and say, hey, Chad, come along. And so I'm learning a little bit here and there. And I thought I knew a lot about flying. Why? I play a lot of video games. And I've seen a lot of movies. So we're taking off one of my first takeoffs. I remember we're about to take off. And then we're about to take off. You know, I'm pulling up. And whoa, 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 whoa. That's way too steep. Okay. So next time I'm doing it, way too steep. I'm thinking of all the movies I saw and what angle they're at. I said, well, tell me, what angle am I aiming for when I pull up? I'm aiming at somewhere between 30 to 45 degrees. He's like, whoa. I don't even know there's a problem. He says, you're aiming at about five degrees. So the wind lifts you. He goes, you get up to where you're aiming, you're headed for a stall. I said, stall? One day later, we're doing some lessons, and I knew what an engine stall is. It's self-evident, right? It's an engine that stalls. I've had engine stalls on jet skis. I've had engine stalls on, on lawnmowers. I know what an engine stall is. The engine doesn't stall when you're in an engine stall on the plane. It just means your, your angle of attack went so high that the wind can no longer lift you up, and so it falls back into where the air is. The engine's running the whole time. Who would have known? Except that I was with somebody who had pain-remembered wisdom. When you go at that angle, bad things happen. Here's how to direct it correctly. I went flying with a guy recently here at the church. His name is Will. And he just told an incredible story about his spiritual journey as we were flying. 
He said, Chad, I didn't grow up in a church that studied the Bible. I grew up um, in a Catholic experience. In fact, I was sort of shunned away from the Bible. My priest told me, hey, don't read that thing. I'll tell you what it says. But then I had a friend when I was in my young adulthood who said, how about we get into the Bible? Instead of hearing what, what grandma said about it or the pastor said about it or the priest said about it or what generations ago said, what if we get into this book ourselves?" He said, I was amazed. I was very intimidated initially. I felt very inept and incompetent. A lot of stuff I didn't understand. But as I got into the book, it was alive. Here's what he said. He said, the more I read the Bible, the more I wanted to read the Bible. It was just like, like science, like history, like math, like anything you dive into that you really love, the more mysteries you discover, the more mysteries it opens. He said, Chad, I've been coming to Horizon now for four or five years. Chad, I'll tell you, I learned more in 30 minutes on our stage at Horizon than I learned in my entire spiritual education. He said, Chad, we don't want to miss a week. Because I have grown so much in not only understanding the deep things in the Bible, but also knowing what to do with it, how to apply it. It's one thing to learn it, it's another thing to know how to apply it. So we were talking a little bit. He'd heard that we're trying to raise $750,000 because we're trying to put in new tools because we want to take our mission and broaden the range. We're looking at putting in a full video uh, system so that we'll be able to have our services finally, <laughs> 2018 uh, video. You can watch it online or live stream. We just talked about what we were doing and why we were doing that and how we wanted to create a reach where people could continue to grow and continue to, to learn the Bible. And many people come to our church. I hear this all the time. I had one this morning, had one last week. Chad, my, my kids and I have so loved sitting in service together, talking about the Bible together. They're heading up to college. Can you find us a good church? Last hour, hey, we're headed to North Carolina. Can you find a good church? And then they go to North Carolina or the kids go off to college. Like, I can't find anything quite like Horizon. I said, well, one of the reasons we're trying to create a, a video services is because for those who are at college, who, there was something unique about the fingerprint here at Horizon that you could still share with your family. That when you're traveling from house to house, when you're traveling, maybe if you're on vacation, you're on business, you can still live stream our services. Or for many, I want to be able to send a copy of that message. Oh, that'd be so helpful for a friend of mine. I get somebody going through a marriage crisis. They, they, I wish they'd known how to set boundaries and maybe send a link. So we've talked a little bit about this over the last year, but we're really in a significant sort of season in the next couple of months. We're looking for folks who say, hey, I give to a lot of places around Cincinnati. I'm very generous to a lot of places around the world. But we also have a unique need here. We don't talk about money hardly ever because we don't want money to be an obstacle. So we're very quiet about money. Sometimes people misunderstand that as we don't need money. Well, we are just trying to create tools to help educate people and to help take the message for children, students, and adults to a larger audience. And part of that is to serve the community that, that comes here who doesn't always come every week. We want to create a new tool. So maybe as you're thinking about your life and what God's doing or the Bible in your life, you want to sort of think about how you might want to be part of the mission in this unique month that we're in of trying to raise the money to create a new tool to bless the people in our community. Pain remembered wisdom. To have more and more people understand the top 500 mistakes people make and the top 500 habits that might connect you to God and your, your ultimate meaning and purpose. The third benefit of the Bible is it teaches you how to turn around. You and I aren't perfect. <laughs> Far from it. And so the secret of life is when you're not being perfect, how do you turn around and go the right direction? And when this scroll is read, he is so distraught. His heart is so tender. He goes, we've got to make some changes. We've got to make some pivots. And the Bible teaches you how to pivot, how to turn around, how to repair, how to make things right again when you've damaged someone or been damaged by someone. 
That's what happens. God actually speaks back to King Josiah and says, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Concerning the words you've heard, you heard some things you weren't doing right, you've heard some things I want to give you that you're not aligned with, because your heart was tender, this is what God wants more than anything, because your heart was tender, and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke. Surely, before, I will gather you to my fathers, and you'll be gathered in your grave in peace. You're going to live a very significant... You've been living successful as a king at 26. You're about to enter a season of significance. I'm going to gather some promises that I promise that you're just now reading, and I'll put them into your life. But what was the secret? What was the secret to turning around? A humble, tender heart. One of the greatest 500 mistakes that leaders make in the Bible is pride. Thinking I know better than ancient wisdom. Thinking I know better than people around me. Uh, Pride comes before destruction, the Bible says. Humility. Humble people are limitless in their ability to grow because they can hear their mistakes. Humble people are limitless in their ability to impact because they can hear other people speak to them and it challenges their paradigms. Humility is the secret to turn around. And God says, because you are humble and tender and open to feedback, this is going to help redirect you into the way you want to go. I remember my friend Paul, he worked in uh, Marymount in the Madeira School District, and he told me a story I've never forgotten. He said he was up meeting with one of the state senators in Ohio. As he was meeting with a guy, they began to talk about education, schooling, and this type of thing, and as he got ready to leave, he turned to the senator and said, well, thank you, senator, I appreciate your time. By the way, do you mind if I ask you a question? I said, sure, what? He said, what's with the Bible on the corner of your desk? The senator smiled and said, well, I'll tell you what, every day people come into my office and they call me Senator such and such and Senator so-and-so. Every day when you hear people give you your title, you start feeling more important than you really are. And I keep this Bible here to remind myself that even though people think I've got all the power and all the might, even though people call me by a big title, every day I open this book to remind myself that everything I have, everything that's been given to me, is a gift from God. And that humility realigns me after a whole day of senator, 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 senator. I remember I'm really a son, a son of God, a forgiven son that makes mistakes. And I remember that this book teaches me that there's 500 mistakes that leaders make, and most of them happen in politics as well. I don't want to follow in that same footsteps. In fact, back to the Greeks. It was interesting. The uh, Greeks and Romans had these triumphs they would do for their generals, and their generals would conquer and come back with these incredible victories. They would parade through the streets, and everyone would come out with incense and cheering and celebration. Oh, you're the great general. Think of the movie, you know, Maximus, Maximus, Maximus. Well, in history, there's several records that when, during these triumphs, as they're come parading in, they would be so cheered, so celebrated, that a general would actually have one of his slaves uh, behind him in his chariot as he drove through the city. And while everyone was chanting this general's name, the slave's job was simply to whisper, Remember, you're only a mortal. Remember, you're only a mortal. Because with everyone cheering your name, everyone seeing your titles, everyone seeing what you've accomplished, pride is so easy to step into. And then that affects your relationships. I don't have to put up with what you're saying. I don't have to put up with this kind of circumstance. And then you destroy your marriages and you destroy your relationship with your kids. We need the voice of someone whispering next to us, as much as you've accomplished, as much as you've done, remember, you're only a mortal. And the Bible plays the role of that. As, as, Ken, as Jeff Foxworthy said, it, it's alive. As you begin to study the Bible, there comes a place where it begins to study you. 
And certain phrases begin to jump out and begin to sort of point at areas in your life that might need to be aligned in your life. And the problem in church today, the, the problem is that often you have two bad alternatives when you go to get serious about your own spiritual education. One is dry and dusty. You show up and you know the Bible is taught. I mean, like the Bible is read, you saw Bible verses in, in the bulletin, but you have no idea what it means when it's done. And even if you... Even if you even if you could stay awake during the sermon to have heard it, right? So you have it dry and dusty. But at least you got some Bible education. The other option in Christendom is light and fluffy. Verse here, verse there, here, verse there, verse everywhere, verse, verse. But you don't, at the end of two years, three years, five years, feel like you know much about the Bible real deeply. Here, you know Bible, but you don't know how to apply it, and you're sort of bored to death. Here, you've got sort of some principles, kind of self-help with little Jesus thrown on top. One of the things that we're passionate about as a church is deep and compelling teaching. Wrestling with philosophy, wrestling with history, wrestling with archaeology. At the same time, how does this apply to your life? How do I take these 500 habits and incorporate them into my life? And what we think is unique about our church is we feel like we're trying, doesn't mean we always do it, we're trying to provide the best Bible teaching in the country every week at our exploring service and our equipping service. And we have two 100% different services. Meaning I spoke a message an hour ago that was 100% different from this one. And instead of having music from Peter Gabriel, I'm sorry, Sting rather, that sort of created the environment for us to ask about what it means to, to long for things that are unwritten or to have a brand new day, we had praise and worship and prayer time and communion at that service and, and we sang songs that, that you might want to sing to God because you know God and want to talk to him. Why do we have two completely different services? Because we recognize that all of us are at different places in our spiritual journey. And many of you may come to our, our 850 service and go, whoa, that was weird. Oh, that's too deep. Oh, that's, that's, that's too much. Great, well, you're our guest. And what do you do for guests? You create environments where your guests can feel comfortable asking their questions. So part of our 10, 11, 10 service is creating an environment where you can go through that process. But there's going to come a time where you might say, I want to I know what a whole book of the Bible is about. And we're going through the book of Luke over 18 months. Book of Leviticus, six months. Book of Ezekiel, 19 months. Yeah, 19 weeks, actually, on that one. Well, you want to study through a book and begin to see the Bible come alive. And like my friend Will said, the more you study it, the more you want to study it. That's what we're about. That's why we do what we do every week. That's why we have four services. We could have built a bigger building so we all fit into one space. But community and people recognizing you by name and knowing you as a person, not as a cog in a wheel or a number, is why we do what we do. So let's go back to our point. What's our key takeaway here? It wasn't until he assessed his treasures that he found that treasure from God. Right? He had to look under his treasures. What does it look like for you and I to examine our treasures? It could be that your treasure is your career. And you've never looked under your career to find out that maybe you've so prioritized your career that there might be a word from God that maybe you've neglected your marriage. Or maybe as you examine your treasures of being a good mom or being a good dad, you so want to be a good mom and dad that underneath all that, you've turned out you've been a good mom and dad, but not a good spouse. And God might have a word for you. Remember what happened here? It wasn't until they looked under the treasures and took an audit of their life that they began to find a treasure from God, this scroll, this word. There's a connection. Josiah tells the priest Hilkah to go find the, the CPA to go do the work. It was people were involved in the process. But when they began to audit their life, they went, wow. 
as I think about the things I treasure, as I think about the things I value, God may want to speak something to you about going and blessing a two-year-old. About going and, and being part of something that you wouldn't even been 15 years in a Bible study for a guy who's the number one comedian in the world. God may have a word, but you're not going to find that word unless you examine your treasures and take an internal audit. I had a friend of mine about a month ago. We were hanging out together. He said, Chad, I just sat down with my accountant. And we decided to sort of look at everything that's been entrusted to us. We're looking at our college plans, how the business is doing, equity in the business. We began to look at a lake house that we had that's began to really rise in value. And after a two-hour meeting, auditing our treasures, looking at everything we had, I walked away from that meeting, and my wife and I looked at each other and said, we are so incredibly blessed. I said, isn't that interesting that your circumstances didn't change from before and after the accountant? You were blessed before you talked to the accountant. But it was until you audited your life that you began to realize how blessed you were. See, God has given us so much. And then the question, the treasure from God hidden under his treasures were, and what does God want me to do with my time? What does God want me to do with my treasures? How can I be part of his larger story? Several years ago, maybe you've heard the story. A friend here at Horizon began to audit his life, and he began to look at his expenditures, and they had a really nice lake house, and there was a property right next door he was going to buy, and it would have been a great purchase. So he could have friends and family come, and they could enjoy the lake house together. That would have been a great purchase. But as he audited that, he happened to take a trip down with one of our back-to-back trips to Cancun. And he saw one of the most impoverished areas in the country, hundreds, thousands of kids in the area, and yet no play to play soccer. And as he wrestled with his treasures, nothing wrong with the lake house, nothing wrong with family and having friends over, that's a great treasure. But God had this treasure for him to say, I'd like you to take that 50000 instead of buying that piece of property to put on another house. At this time in this place, I'd like you to use that money to to put it in a full professional soccer field in one of the poorest areas in the country. I got to be on that trip. A bunch of guys from Horizon. We literally dug rubber and laid down all the pieces. And now this many years later, hundreds, thousands of kids have played on that soccer field. And every time you go down with one of our back-to-back trips, it's because somebody examined their treasures and underneath found a treasure from God, how he could use what God's entrusted to him to impact not just family and friends, which is great, but to impact kids in an impoverished area for dozens and dozens of generations. I would challenge you to examine your treasures. See what word God might have for you under your treasures. And then what will begin to happen is you'll begin to treasure what God treasures. You'll treasure joy and contentment and gratitude and significance. You'll begin to treasure things that really matter, things that are long-lasting. Because having done this audit, look what happens. He said, well, let them deliver what they found This is now talking about the money side, not the scroll side. Let them deliver what they found to those who are doing the work, who are overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord to do the work. Apparently they haven't been to synagogue in a while, they haven't been to temple in a while, they had to repair the place, it become a disaster. Let's repair the damages of the house to the carpenters and builders and masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair their house. You begin to treasure the orphan, you begin to treasure the widow, you begin to look for opportunities where you can take what God's entrusted you to be part of a bigger impact. And I know all of us know that. We, we have one of the most generous congregations in the city. If you look at all the things that go on in the city, you could trace most of that giving back to this place. But I say, if you've never, of all the places you've given, never thought about giving here, one of God's priorities is also his house, the place that brings spiritual education to families. 
So God says, I want you to start treasuring. Of all the things you treasure, I want you to add the church to that place. I want to add putting finances into your own spiritual education and your family's spiritual education into one of the things that you give toward. In fact, we had a family who heard that we're raising money for this video uh, streaming and on demand. They came into our office a couple months ago and they said, listen, I heard this is going to help expand some additional services you guys might do in the future, but that's not why we're giving. Well, why are you giving? They said, we're going to give a five-figure gift because... Honestly, we love the Bible teaching here at the church, but we travel a lot. So we're going to give this gift so that we can follow along the Bible teaching for our own personal growth. We want to take our spiritual pilgrimage and our spiritual education seriously. And part of this, we want to help create a tool that will help us when we're at our other home or we're traveling a business. Then they said, and I love this, they said, but really, we're also giving because we have so many friends who come to our church or don't come to our church who will be sitting in the middle of a message and my wife will nudge me or I'll nudge her and we'll say so-and-so, man, this would be so helpful. We're just talking to some friends struggling in their marriage or struggling parenting. I wish we could send them a copy of something that's not quite as ancient as an MP3, that they could watch it and see it and experience it. So we're making this gift for two reasons. One, it's for ourselves. We want to grow more. And two, we want to create a tool that we can share with our friends. So I don't know what the Bible will do for you. I don't know what God might prompt you to do. He may prompt you to go and apologize to a spouse for not being kind. He may ask you to assess your finances, and you might be filled with gratitude to find out just how much God's given you. That may prompt you to help a two-year-old. It may prompt you to help give to uh, the operations here for your family's spiritual education. It might prompt you to go help uh, or adopt, like my wife and I did now 10 years ago. But it was in the assessment of our treasures. How do we create a margin in our money? To say, God, what would you want me to do with your money to bless and impact the world? And imagine over the next year, if each one of us went through that process, how the city, our community, and our world would be different because we dared to look under our treasures and begin to treasure what God treasures. Let's pray. Father, thank you for uh, this service today. Thank you for this mission you've entrusted to us. Thank you for this book, this ancient book of wisdom that is alive and speaks to us today. I ask that you would continue to challenge each one of us to be serious about our own spiritual journey, embracing and attacking our obstacles and our doubts, and through all that, that you would allow us to find the life that we've been reaching for and looking for. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for being here today. We'll see you next week.